have your Bible, you want to open to Acts chapter 5, that's where we will be in just a few minutes. <clears throat> I really uh, appreciated Ryan's prayer uh, a few minutes ago. One, because, you know, he's one of our teenagers and he's up serving publicly, he's reading scripture, he's offering prayers, and, and that's encouraging, right? And, and we need to make sure we encourage him, right? And we didn't ask him to uh, keep in mind uh, the stuff that went on in, uh, in Parkland, Florida. He just, you know, that was on his heart, and that's, that's what he prayed for. Uh, and so I, I, I greatly, greatly appreciate him uh, praying for those people. And, and we must continue to pray about this situation. And we need to pray for our schools, and we need to pray for wisdom and how this is approached and changes that might possibly need to be made because our children need to be safe and they need to feel protected at school. Uh, that's very near and dear to me and to me and my heart because I have two boys and I think about this every single time there's one of these. So we need to pray, we need to lament as a people, uh, as, a, as, a, as a nation. I really, uh, clean hands was beautiful because it talked about that. Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts, you know, let us seek the face of, of the God of, of Jacob. And so, uh, I really appreciated Ryan's prayer uh, for that this morning, uh, but especially we need to be mindful of the, the 17 people that lost their lives, of that whole community, the administrators, the counselors, the teachers, uh, teachers' aides, uh, community leaders, pastors, uh, first responders, anybody who is involved, was involved the other day, and who will be involved in helping pick up the pieces and, and move forward. We need to be lifting them up. We need to be praying for the, the victims' families. We need to be uh, praying for that entire Parkland community. And you really want to test your Christianity? We need to be praying for the life of the shooter. Okay? We need to be praying for him, too. Uh, what he did was egregious and horrible, and it was evil. But that is still a child of God, and that's, we must pray for whom we would consider an enemy. And so we have to make sure that we pray for all in this process. As a matter of fact, let's just, let's just do that right now. Let's just pray. God, we've spent a great deal of time worshiping you this morning. And we've sung of your grace, and we've sung of your greatness and your, your goodness this morning. And God, we look around and... It's, sometimes it's tough when we think about stuff like the horrible tragedy that took place in Florida this week. And, Father, I know people will say that you're in control and you had a plan and all that, but God, that was not your plan. And so help us, number one, to square with that. Help us to recognize that, that there is evil in the world and that this was the work of evil. And while it's easier to say, God, you're in control and you planned it, you are not the God of death, you are the God of life. And so help us to stand up in the face of evil. Give us the courage to, to confront evil when we come in contact with it. 
Father, we pray for all of those involved, for, those, uh, for, the, for the victims, for their families, for every single person who has helped, will help, doctors, nurses, teachers, faculty, administrators, anybody. Help them, bless them, give them what they need. Help us as a greater nation figure out what we need and what we need to do. We, we, we look to you, Lord. We pray for the victim's family. We pray for the shooter. Father, we pray that he will find redemption in you. And God, it's not easy to pray for someone who's done something like that, but you tell us to pray for our enemies. And so, Father, we're just going to trust you and try to leave room for your vengeance, as your word tells us to, even though it's not easy. God, help us. We need you, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, it's been a difficult week for us as a nation. Um, and it, it follows, in some way, I guess, that today is a difficult text. Uh, it's one that's challenging, it's one that's tough, it starts out really, really good, and then it goes really, really bad. You know, it is a tough one. And you, as a, as a, as a preacher, as a teacher, as a Christian, as whoever, you read this story and you think, Luke, you could have left this story out and it would have been fine. It would have been great, but what's great about him not leaving this story out is that there's humanity in it, and it's real, and people are in it, and people are messy, right? If you believe people are messy, say, oh yeah, really loud. Oh yeah, look at your neighbor and say, everybody's messy except you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People are messy. You know, everybody is messy except Rose. Rose is not. And Don and Joe. Rose is just, she's, she's, she's a rose. She's a rose. But we live, you know, we, we live in a society. We live in a society where, where spin and smear often rule the day, Right? I mean, that's just the kind of society we live in. Uh, people hardly bother to disguise the fact that they are telling half-truths to, to make a point. Uh, politicians, famous people, infamous people, often lie publicly and, and dramatically. It seems like every day, you know, we hear of a, a sex abuse scandal where it was covered up and hushed up for years but it's now being brought to light, we realize there's been so much deception going on. This Me Too campaign is giving women the courage, and, and even a few men, to speak out and say, hey, look, I was sexually abused by someone, by someone in authority. And it's exposing a lot of evil that has been there and, and, and been covered up. And it's, you know, it's, it, it seems like every day we hear this. And so, 
as I read this text that we're about to look at, you know, it's, it's, it's a reminder that, that our culture is due for a, a sharp dose of, of warning that this story provides. Because I think it speaks directly to, and you see the title, it speaks to deception, it speaks to hypocrisy. And then you see divine judgment in it. Now, with deception and hypocrisy, fortunately, those things don't exist in the church, right? What? They do? Yeah. Why do they exist in the church? Because there's humans in the church, right? There's humans in the church. You know, we've, we've seen... Uh, an incredible unfolding of events over the last few weeks as we started this series in Acts. As, you know, Jesus ascends and the Holy Spirit descends and fills Peter. He stands up and he preaches. And they want to know what to do. The people want to know what to do. And Peter tells them, repent, turn to God, confess Jesus, be baptized. Have your sins washed away. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And they say, okay. And 3,000 people respond. We've seen other times and instances where, where they've been just walking along and healed somebody and the response was overwhelming. It's given Peter the opportunity to preach with boldness and, and, and fierceness and fearlessness as he's proclaimed Jesus in the very city and to the very people that crucified him just a few weeks earlier when he was denying Jesus. You know, there's something different going on. What is it that is different about Peter now, post-resurrection and ascension, than before the resurrection and ascension? There's something that's making a difference in his life. He's been with Jesus but also, he's now operating under the influence of what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working and active in his life. I mean, Jesus himself said, there's one coming after me who's greater, and you're going to do greater things. The greatest thing that Peter did when he was an apostle is not talk. You know? Jesus goes back up to heaven. Holy Spirit descends, fills and anoints Peter, and then now you have Peter who is just bringing people to Jesus by the thousands, taking no credit for it, by the way. It's not me, it's not us, it's all God. It's all Jesus, it's all the Holy Spirit. It's all good. And they're arrested. Doesn't bother them. They do what you do when you get arrested for standing up for Jesus. You depend on your community. They're released. They go back. They pray together. And what do they pray for? Not protection. Not, Lord, give us a different place to go and preach. Give us, you know, give us a, uh, an easier time, an easier crowd. What do they pray for? They ask for what? Boldness. And it said that the place was shaken. It was the Holy Spirit filled the, the, the people that were there. And so as we, we come to the, the end of chapter 4, 
they're filled, they're speaking. They're speaking with the Holy Spirit, or speaking through the Holy Spirit. And then Luke tells us this. Watch this text right here. It says, Now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and one mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead, instead they held everything, everything in common. Okay? And then they talk about with great power and, and testimony, the apostles proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus. Now then watch this. For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of whatever was sold, and laid them at the feet of the apostles. This was then distributed to each person as anyone had a need. The people were responding to the needs that were around them, right? Imagine what it must have been like to be a part of that very first community. How exciting it must have been to see thousands of people suddenly recognize this is the Messiah that we've been waiting on. The one we've heard about for years and years and years. And they respond and they give their life to Him. And it's like, hey, look. We're together, we're this community, we're this movement of people that believe in Jesus and we love God with everything we've got and we love people with everything we've got. Oh, and you got a need? Hey, let us take care of that need. And it says that the people took their possessions and sold them and gave money, gave it to the apostles. Said, hey, you do with this what you need to. Help whoever you need to. And that's a picture of what the church should function like. Meeting needs, right? Meeting needs. Do we have needs in our community? Yeah. Do we have needs among this body? Of course we do. Are there needs that we need to meet? Absolutely. How can we meet those needs? It's right here. How do we meet them? We just did it. By giving. That's how we meet needs. That's how we, I mean, we, you know, money doesn't just magically appear. We have to give it in order to give it, if that makes sense, to help and to meet the needs. Are there needs out in our community? Absolutely they are. And we have to meet needs as we can, right? And so that's what's going on in Acts, the end of Acts chapter 4. The people are moved, they're inspired by the Holy Spirit. They're praying for boldness. They're receiving boldness. There's this incredible movement that's happening. People are selling their stuff. They're bringing money. They're giving it to the apostles and say, hey, however you see fit to, to help somebody in need, you do that. You, you bless them. And this is how it should look. They were focused on serving God and serving neighbor. There was no need that went unmet. There was a financial need. Someone gave what was needed, sold something, donated some or all of the money. They didn't have to donate all the money, as we're going to see in just a minute, but they gave what they could. It was an incredible time to, to be a part, of, a part of this community. So uh, just a beautiful thing happening. And then the end of chapter 4, and this won't be on the screen, but the end of chapter 4 tells us about a guy named Joseph. 
Verse 36, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, and he brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, Luke tells us about Barnabas, I think, for a couple of different reasons. One, I mean, he's going to feature prominently in the story. Um, He's going to work with Paul a good bit. He and Paul eventually are going to have a disagreement, a disagreement that is so heated that they decide to part company. Okay? Uh, But he has this nickname, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He's an encourager. That's what he does. He goes around encouraging. And so you'll see that. That's why he goes with Paul, because he is an encourager. Okay? But I also, also think that Luke puts him in, brings him in the story right here, because there's a contrast that Luke wants us to see. He contrasts the life of Barnabas and the the activity and ministry of Barnabas with two other characters, and it's Ananias and Sapphira. Look at at, uh, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge, and he brought a portion of it and laid it at the disciples' feet. Next slide. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? After it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to people, but say it with me, you have lied to God. That's a pretty big deal, isn't it? You've not lied to people. You've lied to God. And so the contrast is between what Barnabas did and what Ananias and Sapphira did. Okay, Barnabas sells a field, or whatever it was he sold, he brought the proceeds, he laid it at the apostles' feet. You have Ananias and Sapphira who sell a piece of property, but Luke gives us some details in there, doesn't he? Ananias, however, kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Peter, prompted by the Holy Spirit, knows what's going on, knows there's some deception going on here, He says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And so what we see is that it is possible as a Christian to not always be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see that? Because what is Ananias filled with? Look at it, it's right there. Satan. Why has Satan filled your heart? And so it is possible for us as believers to allow that to happen, is it not? That's why Paul says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to wild or riotous or debauchery, if you like the King James Version. Don't don't get drunk on that stuff. But instead, and the the literal translation is, keep on being filled 
with the Holy Spirit. In other words, we have to allow ourselves to continually be filled up by the Spirit of God. Does that make sense? It's a continual filling, and we have to be open to that filling. We have to be open to that manifestation of God's Spirit in our lives, because if we don't, we start operating under our own control. We start believing the lies of Satan. We start doing the things of Satan. And so when Ananias and Sapphira do this, Peter says, you've not just lied to us. You've not just lied to me. You've lied to God. There's deceit here. You are feigning like you're bringing the whole proceeds in from what it, but you kept back part of it intentionally. And it's not like they demanded for them to do this. Okay? There was no requirement of you join the church, you sell your land and your possessions, and you give it to the church. Okay? That's not a requirement. They are doing it because there's needs that need to be met. Because they want to do something to help advance the kingdom. Okay, and Peter says, hey, look, when you sold it, whose was it after you sold it? It was yours. You could have done with it whatever you wanted to. But instead, you did this. And he exposes the, he exposes the hypocrisy. hypocrisy in his heart. Keep reading. You can go ahead and just advance one and just it'll it'll be there for a while. Now then watch what happens. And this is why I say this is not a fun text. Verse 5. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead. And a great fear came on all who heard. The young men got up, they wrapped his body, they carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. But Peter does. He said, tell me, did you sell the land for this price? Yeah, for that price. And Peter said to her, why did you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Instantly, she dropped dead at his feet. When the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out, buried her beside her husband. Then a great fear came on the whole church and all who heard these things, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That's tough, right? It goes on and says the church grew after that. That's kind of a crazy growth plan to me. Right? And, you know, there's lots of ideas about what's happened and why God did this and what's going on. And, and, and honestly, 
To be totally honest with you, I, I don't know. We have to trust God with that. Sometimes that's just all we can do. We have to trust that God knows best. And here, this is one of those things that God knows, and it's not for us to know. But what we do know is that hypocrisy and deceit and deception has entered the church. You know, it's been all good stuff up to this point, right? I mean, they've been blowing and going. There's been a little bit of persecution, but it's caused more boldness and it's caused more growth and it's caused more excitement. But now, hypocrisy has entered the church. It brings to mind that Old Testament story in Joshua on the Battle of Jericho and the sin of Achan. Remember that story? And there were things that were supposed to be dedicated to the Lord, but Achan took them and hid them in his tent, and he paid the same price that Ananias and Sapphira did. Now then, Sapphira had a chance, did she not? She had a chance to come clean, because what did Peter say to her? Is this the price that you got? Now, I know none of you here have ever told a lie. You would never do that. But I've told a lie or two in my day. And since none of you have ever told lies, let me tell you what it feels like. When you tell a lie and you know you're caught, that is no fun. So don't tell any lies. You know what you often have to do? You have to tell another lie. Okay? You have to tell another lie to cover up the lie that you just got caught in. And it just compounds and it compounds and it compounds and it compounds and it can just weigh you down. I remember one time, oh, I don't remember what grade I was in. I was a little fella. But I had a report card that was not stellar. And I knew it was coming out. My parents knew it was coming out. But things were different, you know, it was just a hard copy. And I held it back, saying it wasn't ready yet for like weeks. And they kept saying, what about the report card? Oh yeah, it's, yeah they're working on it. Working on it, working on it. All the while knowing it's in my backpack. No, Now my parents, I guess, you know, they really trusted me. They didn't invade my privacy or anything like that. Or I don't know, maybe I left it at my desk, I don't remember. But I knew, you know, and I just kept having to build on the lie. And I remember the day I finally came clean, it was like a burden was lifted off of me. You know, that's the deal. Once it kind of comes out, you know, maybe there is something to that truth will set you free. I don't think that's exactly what that verse means. But there is something to that, right? And uh, Sapphira had an opportunity to come clean. Because Peter said to her, is this the whole price? She could have said... It was not. We got this amount. We said it was going to be, you know, we said it was the whole amount. It was not. But she didn't. They were interested in the notoriety. They were interested in the recognition of it. Okay? And now let me say this. If that's why you give, don't give. Okay? Okay? Uh, if that's why you're giving, if you're giving for, to be seen by people, we don't want your money. Don't give it. Okay? Give 
for the advancement of the kingdom of God, not so you get a pat on the back. You know, we have to have a good and, and, and cheerful heart in, in, in our giving. You see, they wanted the notoriety and they got it. The root of their sin was the love of money and the desire for approval from others. And it cost them so much. Now, it's fixing to really get crazy here in the book. It's fixing to really get awesome, I think. Because now there's going to be this slow building persecution and eventually it's just going to explode. And we're going to go back and we're going to see a prophecy get fulfilled that was laid out in, in chapter 1. But for now, what we see is that hypocrisy has invaded the church. Now, remember a few weeks ago, we did the choose your own adventure, right? Didn't want to do that with this story, right? But if we're honest with us, you know, this, this is the kind of story where if, man, we want to be, known, we want to be Barnabas, right? Barnabas is an encourager. He's got this great few lines about him, you know, and we want to be Barnabas. We want to be the one that's, that's encouraging. Or, you know, we could be like Peter. He's the apostle. You know, and a lot of times, what do we do? We like to picture ourselves as standing on the moral high ground above reproach. But we have to keep in mind that it was Peter that just a few weeks earlier was denying Jesus. Okay? Now then. We never would choose Ananias or Sapphira, right? Who would? Okay, they get it really, really bad in this story. This is why I didn't do this to you today. Uh, now, you probably most of you have read this story before, but maybe some of you hadn't. And so it would have felt really bad if you'd never read this before and then chose Ananias or Sapphira, and it's like, oops, sorry, dead. That would have been bad, okay? But we would never choose Ananias and Sapphira. They lie not just to Peter, but they lie to the church. And they lie to the Holy Spirit. They lie to, to God. And what follows is a swift judgment from God that leaves them dead. We would never, we would never want to be Ananias or Sapphira. But if we're honest with ourselves, and we have to admit that we've all been like Ananias and Sapphira at some point in our lives. Right? We've all been hypocritical on some point in our lives. You see, being a, a, a hypocrite, being a hypocrite is like putting on a mask. It's not honest, right? It's, it's covering something up. It, it's hiding things. And no matter what we do, and, and you know, sometimes we hide pain and we hide brokenness. And, but then sometimes we hide lies and we hide, hide deception. Either way, we're not being completely honest with who we are, right? Before God and, and, and with our community. You see, we all... We all put on we all put on masks. 
masks cover up what's on the inside. You see, when we try to, whenever we try to hide something from our spouses, from our friends, from our family, from our church, it sets us up for a tremendous fall. Right? Have you ever known that? And I'll be honest with you, and if you've ever done this, if you've ever worn this kind of mask before, isn't it exhausting to try to keep up the routine? To keep up the line, the story, the lie, the deception, the it's all good, I'm great, I'm fine. How many, how much pain, how much hurt, how much deceit has the word fine covered up? The word fine covers a multitude of sins, doesn't it? How are you? I'm fine. Knowing you're not fine. Knowing I'm not fine. But that's what I say. That's what we say. Why? Because we're not honest with one another. Because we're not honest before God. And so we cover it up, we mask it, we hide it. I mean, which would be more embarrassing? Admitting that you have a problem and, and, and seeking help or having the problem covering up by lying about it and then suddenly being discovered by everybody when you get caught. You see, what I have found out is just like what Ananias and Sapphira found out is I might be able to fool you for a little while. I might be able to fool you forever. But I'll never be able to fool God. And when we wear that mask, you might fool me. You might fool us. But you'll never fool God. Why do we not take our masks off? I mean, God knows anyway. Why not turn to someone and ask for, for help and prayer and encouragement? When we try to fool God, we're only fooling ourselves. The best thing for us to do is to get rid of the guilt, right? Guilt will swallow you alive. You ever been racked by guilt before? Just show of hands. If you've, I mean, if you've been weighed down by guilt, you know, man, it's awful. And it, it just feels like it's eating you alive and it's like you, you cannot get away from it. Get rid of it. Get rid of the lie. Get rid of deceit. Get rid of deception. Get rid of denial. Get rid of the mask. Admit it to yourself. Admit it to God. Admit it to those 
who need to know and turn to your community for the help and the encouragement that you need. You see, what I've found out and what I come to believe, and this is our community connection for the week, and it's, it's simply this. Hypocrisy destroys community. Does that make sense? Hypocrisy destroys community. How many times have we seen that happen? You trust somebody, you trust some leader, and then all of a sudden some scandal comes out. And it's like all of their words mean nothing. Or you're involved in a close-knit group of people, family, something going on, you're hiding something, all of a sudden it comes out and destroys a family. I've seen that happen within churches. Hypocrisy destroys community. And we are striving to be a Christ-centered community, are we not? We must live without hypocrisy. It doesn't mean that we're not going to stumble into it, but when we do, we have to own it. We have to confess it before God and before each other. Encouragement builds community. The way Barnabas did. He built community. He encouraged. He lifted up. He advanced the kingdom. And so that's, that's, that's where we are. This is a tough text, right? It's not an easy one. But you know what? I'm glad it's here because it reminds us to look at our own lives and see where our own hypocrisies are. And should you say that you don't have any hypocrisy in your life? I'd encourage you to re-examine. This is a reminder to the church that we have to be honest before God. And that we have to be honest before community. How much damage have hypocritic, not hypocritic, hypocrisy among church and church leaders, how much damage has that done in communities? I don't want anybody to say Cornerstone is a church full of hypocrites. Now, in one sense we are because we're all hypocrites in some way, right? I want us to be known as a church that confesses our hypocrisy and trusts God and turns back to Him in repentance. Because hypocrisy destroys what we're trying to build. And that's community. This message, it's, it's, it's really it's about discipleship. It's about spiritual formation. Part of being discipled and being spiritually formed into mature followers of Christ is taking a good, hard, long, serious look 
at what's going on in our lives. And when we see something that is not of God and not of Jesus, we have to get rid of it. Might mean taking off the mask. So as we get ready to sing about falling down before Jesus and laying down our own crowns, For this song, you might think of the crown as a mask. Do you have a mask? Are you, is there something that you are, are hiding? Maybe it's some hurt, something in your past, something painful. And you're covering up with fine. That's a mask. Or is there something going on in your life where you're not being honest, you're not being truthful, you're being deceptive or deceitful, but you present yourself as, it's all good. That's hypocrisy. And I pray that you'll take that mask off too. It's an honest look at ourselves, individually and as a church but to be a Christ-centered community, we have to make sure we remain Christ-centered, right? Not us-centered. And we do that by examining our own lives. Let's pray together.